This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. That warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here today in the Warthog Man Cave inside the Mellon Law Studio with 50 years of experience. Uh, Melton Law is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. Melton Law won't back down. And remember, crime prevention, worry less with crime prevention security systems by preventing package theft with their doorbell camera. Contact them today at cpss.net. And of course, we want to give a shout out to Maurice T. McDaniel, a fifth generation Floridian from Citrus County. He is currently living in farming and lawyering in, of course, Alachua County, in the High Springs area, he's a United States Army veteran, former member of the military's intelligence detachment, Airborne Special Forces Group. So he sponsors our mugshots, which get 45,000, if you will, uh, hits a, a month, believe it or not. Wow. So we are uh, bringing you, of course, as much uh, information we can bring you to keep you informed here on the Ward Scott Files as to uh, what's going on in the community, both locally statewide and nationally. And there's some things that I want to discuss that have happened locally. Uh, and I entitled today's show, The Plot Thickens, because the plot is certainly thickening. The plot is a concept in fiction writing is very interesting. Uh, you must have, of course, um, uh, in fiction writing, a protagonist and antagonist. You must have complication. You must have a series of discoveries and you must be moving towards resolution. That's basically how the structure of fiction works. And you have minor characters, minor character, major characters, but the two big characters are the uh, protagonist and the antagonist. And they are at, really at odds with each other. And uh, necessarily that drives the, the plot, if you will. The local stories are always kind of fascinating. Those of you who like the Ward Scott Files, because you can't really get them in depth, evidently, much of anywhere else. And we have, of course, a vast research team which is made up of you, members of the community, who feed us information, who keep us informed. Who uh, We don't have any staff. It's mainly just a few of us. But the staff is really large when you think about it. Uh, and we help, obviously get help from our sponsors and our donors to maintain, hopefully, a high level of production for you. As long as um, I'm able to get up and get at it, well, I'll continue to help host all this for you. The, the local story now that's been out for a couple of days, we've known about it. We just, uh, of course, I had a different couple of shows the last couple of days, is the elderly abuse story, uh, which involves Wanda, a, one, a lady named Wanda Thomas. And um, the, the, the story behind the story is, of course, uh, by those who want to make the association, because it is there, uh, I'm not going to necessarily say that any more than it's just there. So that is the um, fact that uh, the elderly homes uh, particularly the one that Wanda Thomas was abusing the elderly in, uh, are owned by 
uh, school board candidate who was, of course, booted out of the race last time for uh, living in the wrong district. And he's going has sworn to come back again and try again. And uh, Dion McGraw. So Dion McGraw is really the story that people are looking for. Uh, and Wanda Thomas is just the kind of the key to the door into Dion McGraw. Sort of the way I look at it, sort of the way it is I don't look at it. I can just tell you on a very visceral level, uh, having been at, at, at dependent totally on um, the help of people in a rehab center for almost a month, that there is nothing more frightening than to be totally dependent upon the kindness of strangers, as, as um, our great uh, playwright Tennessee Williams said um, in, um, uh, I think, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. The, the, the to dependent totally on the kindness of strangers, which you are when you get into these homes and you just can't even, I, well, I was in, well, I'll just give you a couple of private stories. I, I could not roll over in, in bed, period. Uh, I just didn't have the strength to do it. I could not roll over on my side. I didn't have the strength to do it. I had to be watched and helped. If I wanted to go to the restroom, I had to ring a bell and whoever came, I was at the mercy of their help. And uh, these people are uh, generally helpful, uh, kind, I'd say 99% of the time. I did have one experience, which was kind of frightening. I won't go into it too much, but I realized the person was mean and uh, was impatient and really shouldn't have been working this place. I never reported it to the supervisors. It would have been very difficult for me to do, being bedridden, uh, being totally dependent, because I was afraid maybe that if I did that, there was some kind of network that the supervisors didn't know about that would enha enhance and en expand the, the abuse. And so I just lay there in the bed helpless and not didn't say anything. I mean, it was just, and I just hope that particular individual never came back in the room again when I rang the bell to go to the, the restroom or whatever I needed. Um, fortunately, it was such a rare event, but it was an event. And it stayed with me low these many years. This is a couple of years ago. And so I know what it is it's like. And now to have be you know, elderly and have, be totally dependent upon, once again, what Tennessee Williams said, that kindness of strangers um, is really, and you don't have your family around. And of course, COVID made this worse. Uh, these people shut down visitors in the hospitals. The government shut down visitations from family. Um, you know, that was a terrible, terrible complication to being alone in the first place. I have seen in these group homes, uh, people who have been languishing in a bed, maybe they're 90 years old and, and somehow they've been debilitated. They've been in that bed for 10 years. They can't die. They can't get better. They just lie there. It's an awful nightmare. Don't even look if you don't have the stomach for it because it's a frightening, frightening situation. There's a great short story written by Eudora Welty about it called A Visit of Charity. It's a fantastic story written by a, a, a lady who is a, um, one of the premier artists of our lives and it's called A Visit of Charity about being spending your last days in old folks' homes. So the, or in, not just old folks' homes, but uh, whatever you want to call them, rehabilitation centers, if you're not old yet, but you're dependent upon help. Now, what we have here is also a movement that 
I would say that Dion McGraw is pretty clever about uh, or understands and has capitalized, I, would, I think, on from what I can tell from the investigation that I've made so far. She, um, there's been a move to privatize Takachali. And I don't know if you have much experience with Takachali, but Takachali is uh, a place where it's just kind of a holding world for people who will never, ever escape the, the needs that are provided for and taken care of in a place like Takachali. It's out on Waldo Road, and it is a big, vast complex. There has been a movement to get out of that situation and to privatize, as I understand it, from talking to people who have run these elderly homes, to privatize Takahali. But to privatize them, somebody pays you. And the people, the, the, the agency that pays you is the government. The government, the federal government, is the ultimate cash cow in this. They will pay you if you've got the wherewithal to buy these homes and hire staffs. And, and um, then you as the owner have the, have the issue of actually watching over this staff. I don't know that the staff where I was ever knew anything about what happened to me. Um, so, so, you know, and I was, I was articulate. I could talk. I couldn't walk, but I could talk. Some of these fellows, ladies and, and, and gentlemen in these places, and they can't. They can't do either of that. They can't defend themselves. But somebody has to take care of them because they haven't passed yet. So we have these homes. And sometimes we have these homes where people are just eternally mentally challenged that are put in with this group. And that's where Tonkachali has come in. So there's been a movement, as I understand it, to privatize uh, these places and call them group homes. Now, when Paul investigating McGraw's situation, she has got a link that everyone tells me is pretty, well, pretty, 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 pretty profitable. Hiring Department of Children and Families employees to work in the homes makes, as I understand it, a kind of conduit for people to be in the homes. So you've got, if you will, if you will make this analogous to owning a rental, well, you've got a rental that the government is always going to pay the rent on. And then you've got a building which has to be staffed and the state Department of Children and Families is going to staff it for you. And you're going to hire them and you're going to pay them, but the money is ultimately going to be coming from the federal government. Now, as I understand it, she owns, Demel McGraw owns eight or nine of these properties. Because if you go look, it must be profitable the way she's figured this all out because look at the money which people have been talking to me about as being unusual. I can't find anything other than the fact that an individual candidate is allowed to spend as much money as he or she wants on uh, his or her own campaign. There's no rule against that. So if you want to dump $200,000 into your campaign for a school board office seat, which doesn't make any sense to the normal person, if that was, I'm just using that number. I know it was a lot of, uh, that was a lot of money. Um, that not necessarily what she put in it, but it was a lot, a lot more than your normal school board candidate uh, for a position that doesn't pay much. Then you say, where's this money coming from? Well, it's coming ultimately, one would say, from the money that she has profited from, from setting up this arrangement of group homes and then having the DCF employees and then having the government write the checks. So if you can do that, well, that's 
that's that's the way it works. So I'm not faulting her at this point for that. I think that's uh, that that is entrepreneurship. That is being there, uh, willing to take the risk. Every once in a while, is this situation with Wanda Thomas? We've tried to investigate her. We don't find any any place yet where uh, Dion McGraw didn't do proper research to hire this person. Uh, this is just a bad apple, uh, from what we can understand. But the bad apple's in bad trouble. I would hope because I don't think that sort of behavior with the helpless should go on unpunished or unattended or the consequences should be light. Um, federal law supersedes. Now, this is kind of interesting. I know a couple of neighborhoods here that used to be very affluent neighborhoods, okay? I guess I won't name them, but I know people who are, have a lot of money who are uh, you know, well off and who've lived in this neighborhood in nice homes for quite a while. And in the middle of, and these homes are big. Well, in the middle of these big homes, all of a sudden is a group home. And you wonder how did this group home get in the middle of um, this residential area? And every once in a while, you see somebody uh, walking the people who are uh, living in the group home. And the group home uh, obviously is different from the residential homes many, many more people. So you take a look at how can that happen? And the federal law supersedes the local law. The local law says no more than three unrelated, you know, that kind of business that the uh, uh, local Gainesville Gestapo rental people have uh, placed on the, on the landlords here of the uh, no more than three unrelated. Um, that doesn't apply to, to a group home. That doesn't apply at all. You're able to, uh, therefore, build a home right in the middle of a residential area that has many more people in the home than you would be allowed to have if you were um, functioning as just an individual landlord, so to speak. So generally, what you have here, now this is not an absolute rule, but if you go around and take a look statistically, you have white clients with black employees. and Hopefully, this is not where racism rears its ugly head. I think my situation was probably a result of that. Um, just not on the basis of anything I said to the individual. Just I think the individual came into the rehab center packing that attitude and was had a, kind of a chip on the shoulder and a short fuse. Um, it was the only ones I say that I ever encountered in my long rehabilitation session. But, but I can tell you, it stays with you because you, you don't have anywhere to turn for help. So uh, th th this person, um, uh, uh, this lady who, who did some pretty heinous things, if you read the Sunset Report and read the reports we've read, uh, they're not just like, um, you know, interpersonal inter relationships. There's some violence involved in it. This needs to be dealt with. And uh, so I'm not going to really, at this point, uh, point a finger of blame at Dion McGraw. Uh, Dion McGraw, though, does have a, 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 a figured out a way to get the feds to pay for uh, the, the tenants. And that's more power to you if you can figure it out and now has eight or nine of these properties. So statistically speaking, and I have to say, and you know, people criticize me for 
oh, he's only one-sided. He only listens to one side of the story or he's got his mind made up. I'm saying to this point uh, with Dion McGraw, if you take nine homes, I don't know what the employees are per home, but let's say there's 50. Let's, let's say that it's this, this, for the round numbers, you have 450 employees. So you have one here that is surfaced. Now you can figure out the statistics of that and you have really uh, an anomaly. So that's where I'm going to go with that particular story. It's, um, it is what it is. Uh, uh, Channel 20, as I saw the report, did not uh, connect uh, Dion McGraw with the homes. Uh, the Elantra Chronicle did. And uh, I, I, I am not. Uh, I'm just saying that, yes, the owner is McGraw, but at the same time, you know, uh, I don't, this is not, this is not a, an issue that you could, I, I see any way to connect back to her. So uh, I want to set that straight. I want to put that on the public record uh, here, if you, if you will, because uh, I'm, sooner or later here in a minute, I'm going to get into a story that I was accused of being biased about. And uh, we'll, I'll, I'll share just a little bit of that with you because it's unresolved. I'm not going to go into a lot of development with it because we're still waiting on the courts to, to, to uh, speak. But the other thing that's kind of interesting is residential irrigation. Uh, there are these spasms of frustration uh, that, um, that the county commission creates all the time about water. Uh, let me tell you about water. And I had the best research paper uh, on this from, uh, uh, I learned so much from this student's research paper who did a research paper on the, on the aquifer in Florida. The aquifer in Florida is uh, uh, very deep here at the farm. We go down over 200 feet to the aquifer. Um, if we uh, had to, uh, I'll just let you in on some of the um, downside of having cattle. We had to uh, bury a, a, a cow the other day that died. So we had to take the tractors and we had to dig down and create a grave for the cow. Well, we didn't dig very far at all, but what we hit water. We've got water just beneath the surface of this state all over the place. In fact, if you fly over the state of Florida and you take a look at it from a small plane, you don't think of Florida. I didn't when I realized this. It was really kind of a shock to me. You, you think of Florida as land with lakes. It's really water with islands. When you fly over it, there's water everywhere. And uh, it's, it's, you know, we're a peninsula. We're, we're surrounded by water except on the northern side. But every once in a while there becomes this, and I'm not poo-pooing the concern. I am not for wasting the water. And one of the things that we've done, it's not been uh, any kind of recent discovery, is the suburban lifestyle requires, for some strange reason, a green manicured yard, okay? And there are all kinds of people who make a handsome living in the landscape business in the state of Florida. And they go about, you see them with their workers, and, uh, uh, and some of them come and go, and some of them have been here a long time. Uh, we use a landscape uh, person here at the farm once in a while, once a month. Um, we've known this person, done business with this person for a long, long time. And we, um, we, um, we, we, we use it, that, that service for certain needs. Much of though, on the other hand, we do ourselves with our own tractors and our own mowers. So it's, um, it's um, uh, a niche, though, and, and I, I'm, I'm fully... Uh, in favor of supporting uh, all the all the uh, businesses that make our community, you know, very attractive and livable. 
when you get in these suburban areas, though, you know, with the curbs and gutters and, and uh, um, you know, they're going for a million, a million dollars a base. It's a low price for a house right now, say, in some, some place like Oakmont, which used to be raw farmland. Um, that's, that's the story of Florida. Um, you know, one of the big consumers of water that has not been factored into this conversation was Disney. Disney really changed the whole situation. That was an enormous demand on water. But all we have now is some investigation about, oh, wow, wow, GBTQWXYZ. It's much more serious than that. They got a sweetheart arrangement, and basically it's time for that arrangement to be reexamined. Uh, LGBTQ just brought it to the, to, to, the, to the table. It was going to sooner or later have to happen. Uh, something that vast and that big, which is exploiting these resources of the state without paying anything back to the state um, for those resources that they're using. Uh, so the, the whole concept of to water or not to water is uh, who, who, who among us has not driven by in a rain, in, in pouring down rain and looked at automatic sprinklers watering some expanse that of grass that you're not going to use to grow anything it's not a garden it, you know it's nothing it's just green look something to look at um that is that is an issue that is a problem and it's not easy to get a handle on because you've got more and more people 24 million is what i read the other day in the state of florida i think the last time i really thought about it was around 16 million and uh, hopefully it'll all stay south of Orlando, but it's not going to. You know, it's going to creep forward more and more. As you see, we have outside contractors here uh, doing work because they have the deep pockets to come in and hang out until they can convince the planning organizations that the six story building is a good idea and all that. So um, that we have that issue uh, that's that's going on locally. We also have a story that we've covered that we were very much involved in from the very beginning, and that has to do with uh, Reggie Brown, okay? The Browns, they were city council members in, in Duval County in Jacksonville. They're all one and the same there. And um, they, they ran a scam, basically what it was, on the city of Jacksonville. And that scam was, of course, barbecue sauce. Barbecue. We call them barbecue browns. Uh, they went and borrowed uh, from all these small business startup funds, um, not dissimilar in many ways to black loan um, beep that we discovered here years ago in, in Gainesville, and nothing ever happened to it. But something did happen in Jacksonville. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of it was a result of Ward Scott Files. Uh, the data investigator discovered this, um, that there was, um, the, uh, you know, something phony going on here. On the one hand, you know, you had this request and uh, dispersal of all this money to start this um, barbecue brown sauce business. And yet when you went to look, there was not one bottle of barbecue sauce made. And so we got to looking around, got to pressing the, the, the situation, got to talking to authorities got the story out, and finally got uh, the Browns, Reggie Brown uh, and Katrina Brown, who were not related. Brown's a very common name. Uh, Corrine Brown, 
um, especially in that Duval area. So and what you find this out is you watch the obituaries. So, so Katrina Brown and, and Reginald Brown had this scam they're running on the city of Jacksonville, and uh, they now have been ordered to pay the money back, okay? Well, of course, they can't pay the money back. So uh, Tuesday, a, uh, a federal judge uh, signed a, uh, a, a uh, this is from Steve Patterson of the Florida Times Union, whom, with whom we stay in contact uh, at, some, at some level, uh, reported that uh, Jacksonville City Council Member Reggie Brown, uh, as a part of his judgment for a string of B convictions, has to, uh, 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 for which he has a $412,000 bill. He was ordered to uh, pay back $412,000 in restitution. Of course, we'll be watching to see if this guy votes. You understand that, don't you? Because restitution hasn't been paid. So ordered to pay about $412,000 in restitution back in October of 2020 when he was sentenced to 18 months in prison and for his part in dozens of counts of mail and wire beep and money laundering from private, uh, the, this private business project uh, with, her, with a fellow council member, Katrina Brown. So um, the money has not been repaid. Um, and so Brown, he tried to delay the forfeiture saying in court that he wrote himself that he'll be homeless if he has to repay this. But the judge has said, we're going to take your house. Uh, he had owned that house since 2010. And uh, he said, you know, this will make his life so complicated, transitioning from prison into productive life. But the judge, uh, Howard, a federal judge, uh, ruled last week uh, that any challenge to the restitution order illegally should have been made soon after Brown was sentenced, the same way a defendant has a time limit on appealing a sentence. So uh, he's going to have to forture, for, uh, for, uh, forfeit uh, his home. And uh, um, you know, they're going to have um, public notices and all that. Meanwhile, Katrina Brown still is in the jug. She's in the custody of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. She's scheduled for release next year. That story has quite a bit to do with the investigative powers, albeit uh, of the Ward Scott files. There's not much which escapes our attention. And uh, we, we, we're, we're very, um, I won't say proud is the word, but uh, we feel it's very significantly important to your life that you know the stories behind the stories because um, there's not a lot of that going on in, in other media outlets. And we're going to cover a little bit as time allows, of course, the Twitter takeover. I don't use Twitter. I find Twitter to be very limited and very boring. Um, there are people out there who put little snippets on there. Every once in a while, I'll twit, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not into it, but, uh, I'm going to take a little break a little bit early, come back. I'm going to tell you some more about some local, uh, things that are going on here with the local sheriff with, uh, give you a Ken Cornell update, uh, some other things going on. Let's break for a moment while well, a little bit early, please production, uh, maybe a few minutes early. And, uh, we'll be right back after we thank our sponsors for, helping us present to you uh, the best show we can present. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. 
Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352 284 3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Uh, a warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Welcome back to War Scott Files. Here we are uh, live again with you on uh, on this beautiful Thursday day. And we hope that the love bugs haven't carried you off. They come back in the month of May. For those of you who don't reside here in Florida, we have something called the love bugs. Because it looks as if they mate in the air. And of course, they like your automobile. They like your automobile windshield and your grill and all that. We have to put up with them pretty much um, all through the month of May. So um, they're called the love bugs. Well, I promise to keep you up to date on local developments and local stories of significance to your interests. One of the stories that's been dragging through our community for quite a while started with the shocking takeover of a real estate office in order to serve a warrant at gunpoint with the SWAT team. And we began to investigate this quite a while ago because, uh, you know, justice delayed is justice denied. So the tactic has been uh, many ways to string this out as long as possible. And it does run up lawyer fees and they love that. So uh, the curious thing that hit the, hit the, hit the attention of the public was, why is it, I still haven't gotten a good answer. Why does it take a SWAT team to serve a warrant at a real estate office on what the previous state attorney says has said, as I understand it, he would never have treated as a criminal case. He would have treated it as a civil case. And this is the argument apparently over commissions uh, between uh, the two real estate outfits here known as Boss Hart one and the other as Colliers. And um, the interesting thing about the Boss Hart uh, organization is that the vice president of it, as we understand it, is also the county commissioner, Ken Cornell. Now, Ken Cornell is a public, public person. That's a lot different, you understand, than being a regular citizen. Once you are a, a, a commissioner, you, your, your private life is really gone um, forever, really. Uh, even in declaring for public life, you're still a public person. And it's, it's pretty, it's gone. And, and that's just one of the interesting twists to the story I'm about to relate to you. So 
Uh, we have uh, Mr. Cornell, who's also a, a county commissioner, has been the chair, um, and and he is the vice. He was he was due to be deposed. Now, deposed, if you haven't ever been deposed, is to swear on on uh, uh, un, under oath that you're telling the truth uh, with the penalty of perjury. Uh, and perjury is usually a contradiction in testimony. So you have to contradict yourself and, and get caught in the contradiction to actually be a perjurer. It's pretty difficult. Generally, you reside, you hide by failed memory so that you don't get into a contradiction. And the you have to remember that everybody always wonders why I never became a lawyer. Um, I just thought it was a very, uh, I, I, I was more interested in classical literature. It was much more interesting reading. But nevertheless, I also like argumentation. I like disclosure. I like uh, supporting uh, evidence and all that sort of business. I think that's just part of the critical thinking process. So, and I've had many, many students who are lawyers, many, many students. I even had had some of them come back and ask me to come to their law firm and help teach their new uh, hire lawyers to write, which I've never done, but um, that's how bad it can be. So, you know, and basically it's all about language. Uh, one lawyer takes the language and goes north with it. The other lawyer takes the language and goes south with it. And they're very, very, the lawyers tend to act in straitjackets. Um, they don't want to think for themselves. They want to go to precedent. They, you know, if they can get a precedent, they're very comfortable. Oh, see, somebody else already did it. Therefore, I can do it. But when they can't find that, they get very nervous because then they got to actually think. Then they have to actually argue. Then they actually have to have a good argument. If they can't find where somebody already did the argument for them, then they're strung out to dry. They really got to deal with something that most of them, except for the really good ones, the very creative, really good ones, um, uh, don't like. They're very uncomfortable with that. They want to stay within the lane of precedent. Uh, they won't, don't want their, their uh, uh, cases to be overturned or somehow challenged or their positions. So they go rely on precedent. So uh, this factors into the story I'm about to tell you now. So uh, we have been watching uh, the day and time when it would uh, be finally able to depose um, uh, our good friend, uh, Ken Cornell. And I, I like Ken fine. You know, every, we're all members of the community, okay? But we're also all actors on a stage, you have to understand. And the stage is public. Um, well, so, so there you are. And, 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 and it's subject, therefore, to an audience to look at our behavior on the stage. So Cornell is a very much a public figure, very much a public figure, county commissioner, and wearing the hat also of the vice president of uh, this real estate organization, which is embattled with uh, this other real estate organization. So we were very interested, of course, in um, what we call in the reason we call it the plot thickens today in the series of discoveries that would come as the story unfolded about why in the world, really, what really triggered all this is why in the world would you need a SWAT team to serve a warrant on a real estate office? And everybody I've checked it out with can't even in law enforcement can't understand it. So this mystery is driving who had the authority, the power, the influence to cajole, argue the state attorney who's not dry behind the ears yet, 
Brian Kramer to rule this a criminal matter. We don't know, but it's a great story. I mean, we really wonder, aren't we entitled to know how in the world? Because I guess this could happen to us, right? That's what goes through people's minds when they talk to me about it. How does this happen? You know, can I go to work one day and find myself totally uninvolved in the situation? And next thing I know, I've got handcuffs on me and a, and a, and a, and a, a SWAT team hollering at me and I'm taken outside and I don't even know what it's about. Can that happen to me in Gainesville? When I'm minding my own business and going to work? See, that started the whole interest in all this. This is not your usual kind of deposition, therefore, that's going to go on. This is of enormous interest to the public. But, you know, we watch everything. We have all sorts of people in the research team who keep us informed. And we got notice that yesterday the deposing of Ken Cornell was at long last to take place because it was scheduled to take place back in the fall of 2021, if my memory served me correctly. And that was, I think, on around November 11th or something. The excuse was given, well, he couldn't be deposed that day. He had to go make a speech. Okay. Now that enters into the story. You understand? That enters into the story. That makes Mr. Cornell special because you and I would not be able to do that as private citizens. We would not be able to say, I don't think, oh, geez, I can't be deposed today. I have to go make a speech. Are you serious? So the special treatment already being given, Mr. Cornell. So long last year in April, and that's how many months later, six. Um, and then you begin to wonder why, why doesn't an innocent person just be anxious to be? Uh, isn't that normal that you want to be deposed and get the story open as quick as you can? Why would you delay it? That's always the normal human reaction. It's sort of like the reaction we have with T.J. Pichet. Why would a, an innocent guy take the fifth? You know, um, these stories, these questions linger in the community. So why is this taking so long for Ken Cornell to be deposed? Well, that's a human interest. People have a right to know about that. So there came to our attention uh, this public notice. This is a public notice. Uh, that in the circuit court of the 8th Judicial Circuit in Forlodgewa County, Florida, um, that there was going to be a videotape deposition via, are you ready? Zoom. Via Zoom. And in this public notice is the Zoom link. Now, the Ward Scott Files knew about this public notice, for, but we never, ever put the Zoom link out there to the public. We could have. Since there is a public document with a public printing, and here's the Zoom information. I'm not going to post it, but I'm going to show it to you. Uh, I don't know if you can see it, but... Uh, uh, let me get uh, try. There's Zoom information. You see that Zoom information? It's got the beaming ID. It's got the passcode. We never put that out publicly, but we knew it. We knew that the date was April 27th. Today's April 28th, and we knew the time the thing was to start was 1 p.m. 
and that the oral examination, I'm quoting from the document, will continue from day to day until completed. And then we're told who the video services will be provided by with. So guess what? About 110, yours truly, clicked on the Zoom link and was allowed to enter to enter the meeting. So I entered the meeting, prepared simply to watch. That's all, just watch and listen. I had no comments. I'm not involved in this. I'm not doing a cross-examination. I have no dog in the hunt. I don't know who's guilty, who isn't guilty, if there's any guilt at all. I'm not taking sides. I'm not with favoring either attorney or either person. Just watching. I'm just watching. Well, as the screen comes up and shows my name in the Zoom, all of a sudden, the attorney for Ken Cornell, who's standing next to his attorney, the attorney is Paul Donnelly, freaks out. I'm going to use the term freaks out. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And you'll eventually see this because I will get a copy of the video. It's a public record. Who is this? Who is this? Who is this Ward Scott guy? Who's this Ward Scott guy? So he's on record at that moment of saying he doesn't know who I am, but it unnerves him. So he wants to know who, who I am. Well, I'm just sitting here. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to answer something like that. I mean, I'm not going to have somebody look out in the audience and say, who's the guy with the red hair or who's the guy with the glass. I'm not going to do that. Why would you single me out of the office, out of the audience? Why, what are you doing? So I just sit there. Well, there's this murmur and a murmur and murmur. So Donnelly, as I recall, it disappears with, with um, Cornell. When Donnelly comes back, he says, we want that guy out of here because he said bad things about my client and we don't trust him being in here. And he's a member of the press. And I've never heard of a member of the press being in a deposition. And he needs to go. We're not going to go forward until he's gone. At which time... The Drodos attorneys say, we have no objection to him being here. And then at some point, the Drodos attorneys say to Donnelly, what have you got to hide? Boy, Donnelly bristles on that, boy. Ooh, ooh, what do you mean, what have you got to hide? I'm just sitting there watching, never saying a word. And I never identified for them who I was. They can go do their research. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm an observer. I'm not talking to them. Oh, boy, they figure out, oh, he's a member of the press. Oh, he doesn't like my client. He can't watch. We don't want him in here. Well, Droto's attorneys take the position, and listen, it's a public meeting. The Zoom link was published publicly. About that time, they have another break. Well, there must be a precedent. There must be a precedent. See, here we go. Lawyers can't take a position. They have to find precedent. Must be a precedent. For the press not being present for a deposition. By the way, since then, I have researched that myself. There are pre plenty of precedents of the public being present for a deposition. And when they get ready to ask me, I will cite one for them. I will direct them to it. And I have the party that was the subject of the public viewing of the deposition. So come on, bring it on. I'll give you a precedent. Well, they couldn't find one. Well, then what to do then? So they turned to me. 
and asked me, would I leave the meeting? My mama didn't raise no fool, okay? And I said to both attorneys, I said, I will abide by an order from the court. I'm not going to let two lawyers who don't know what they're talking about tell me I can't stay. I'll let the judge tell me, but I'm not going to let them tell me. What do they think I am, I'm a fool? About that time, Tim Martin checks on. Oh, buddy. Who is this? Who is this? They panicked on that. Well, I'll just briefly tell you that Tim Martin identified himself as a Newberry city commissioner who was interested in watching the situation. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Who else are you going to check on? Oh, they really got really. Meanwhile, no Cornell. Never saw Cornell in front of the camera again. Now, the meeting was scheduled at one o'clock to start. I don't think it got resolved. I have to go back and check the records until about 2.20. There were several breaks as they went and looked. Then they tried, since I said I would abide by an order of the court, they went and tried to call the judge. They thought if they got the judge on the telephone, the judge might tell me to get the heck out of the meeting. But that's going to be tough for the judge to do, I would think, because, hey, I, I didn't invent the Zoom access. You gave it to me. Nowhere in this document but say, does it say I can't, I can't access? I've got it. It doesn't say I can't access. There you are. So I'm not going to listen to the lawyers. And by the way, I don't know what the judge will rule, but whatever the judge rules is what I'll abide by. But I can tell you there's plenty of precedent for this, and I can cite one right now. So all this wound up with finally, since they couldn't get the judge on the line and they couldn't uh, get me to say anything, and Rotos was all in favor of going forward. They had no problem with me being there, Rotos attorneys. But Donnelly was in a fit. I'll call it a fit. I mean, it was a fit. When you see the video, you'll see what I mean. And you will, when I get the video, you'll see it. He then says, when he, before he, before he decides, he's going to file a motion to have me excluded, okay? I don't know how that's going to work out. And also, he said, as a parting shot, he said, I want, to, I want the transcript of everything they've said here, particularly these two people from the public. Well, I want it too. I want it too, because I want those words where that lawyer said those things about me and didn't know me. Okay, I want those words. I'll get. Them. I'll get. Them. That's the most unusual, interesting afternoon the Word Scott Files has uh, participated in lately. But it's really not surprising, is it? The mystery at the center of this, why was the guns, the SWAT, we looked at the SWAT matrix. We think the SWAT matrix gives evidence of having been juggled in order to meet the numbers to, re 
authenticate the use of the swan. There's something going on here. And the more this kind of behavior exhibits itself, the more you wonder. So I have to go along with the Drotos attorneys. Well, what have you got to hide? Is my presence watching Ken Cornell be deposed so intimidating to Ken Cornell, a public figure, that he can't talk without stuttering? No one is out in the public more than I am. Every single day you see me. Every single day you see me. The consistency of this presentation amazes even me. Every day I have to be on the ball. This show goes out 24-7, 365, on all sorts of platforms. There is no one who has videotaped more than I am. What are you telling me? What are you telling me, Mr. Donnelly? Who doesn't know me? You gotta be kidding me. You cannot be serious. You cannot be serious. Let me just check a look here in my Facebook chats. I don't know what you all are thinking, but this is more than passing strange, as is said in uh, um, <laughs> in our in, even our in, even our role in the community. Oh boy. I want to cover the sheriff cooperation. You know, I've stayed out of the sheriff situation, but I, I want to I want to I want to say that uh, their life goes on. Law enforcement doesn't stop. OK, you, you the press puts this stuff out there about the PBA is this, that one another contract. And they go, I stay out of that because I don't know one side. You know, I know I don't know both sides. I don't you know, I'm neutral. I'm the, I, I'm, I'm the press. I'm, I'm neutral. You know, hey, if Cornell comes through as a shining deposition, well, so be it. I just talked about Dion McGraw being, as far as I can tell, entirely above board with the group homes. I mean, you know, come on. I'm a college professor. I don't, you think I took favorites of teaching students? You're nuts. The Alachua County Sheriff's Office has resources, believe it or not, that other sheriff's department around here don't have. And the Lawton County Sheriff's Office is able to provide those resources upon request from, by the other sheriffs to aid in, in certain situations deemed important by this mutual reciprocity between and among the sheriffs. The Lawton County Sheriff's Office, and every time you hear defund the police and every time you hear uh, demilitarize the police and all the stuff you heard yesterday when we had Josh Taylor on, who'd been a deputy, and all the tragic things that happened in Trenton uh, to those police officers, every time that some kind of blab comes out about that, you don't only hear one side of the story. The other side of the story is we need helicopters, okay? We need SWAT teams, but we don't need them pointed at individuals from the civic life. Now, here's a situation, is a positive story, Sheriff Bobby Schultz, who I know and have had on the air, uh, and uh, 
our sheriff, Clovis Watson Jr., uh, they worked together along with um, uh, a Gainesville office, Jeff Watson, who is a um, law enforcement resident agent in charge of the Gainesville office, to catch this kid, Marin Ghani, who threatened, he was a student at Bell High School. He made threats on March 11th. All these kind of things are taken seriously and should be. Uh, there's a person in this community who, on Facebook, I shall remain unnamed, made a threat to blow up the jail and burn it. Uh, we've got a screenshot of it. We've saved it. We don't know what's going to happen to it. Been turned over to the sheriff's office. I'll just tell you that. I don't know what happened to it from there. But it was a con it was a comment that is outside the range of decency, really. It raises sort of suspicions or should. You start talking about blowing up buildings and and burning jails and you know, oh now, whoa now, whoa now. So here's this young man who knows what influenced him. Maybe I don't know. That's not part of the story. Was it Facebook? Was his own mental issues? Uh, I, I don't have an idea. The story, the point of the story is that uh, the cooperation between and among the law agencies primarily spearheaded between uh, uh, Watson and Schultz, as I understand it from the articles, to apprehend this fellow. And I don't know the details of the cooperation, but I do know the details of the resources of the ACO. Uh, our Logic Carroll Sheriff's Office are pretty significant. And uh, often they have to be, um, you know, loaned to other agencies that don't have the resources to, um, or the budget to, to buy some of these vehicles that uh, we do have, armored personnel carriers, helicopters, things of this nature. So that story has not really ever been featured in the Gainesville Sunset. The Gainesville Sunset has run the same story about our sheriff about five times about negotiations between the PBA and sheriff and never has changed the story. I haven't learned anything more from the story. I don't know anything more about it now than I did when they started. So the question becomes, why do you run the same story five times if you don't have anything new to present? So I don't know, that's all I know. I do know that this story is out, that there was enormous cooperation uh, between uh, uh, these sheriff's offices. And, uh, you know, that's more than you'll see. This came from something called the Hardison Link. Um, it, I don't know that you'll see it. I haven't looked for it anyway uh, in the Gainesville Sunset. Um, we have here a picture. Let's put that picture up, uh, please, production of this group, if we can. There they are. Um, leave it there for a moment and those are the fellas that's not made that's not made the attention of the public in this community so we're going to bring it out there and let you take a look at it and realize that you know life goes on law enforcement doesn't sleep it shouldn't and you got people going around threatening to burn jails blow up jails burn them down blow up schools um, that kind of thing needs to get that needs attention. So I'm proud to say that uh, we, we're bringing that story to you. 
Uh, that's a picture of the Gilchrist County Sheriff. I'm not looking at the people, uh, people here. Uh, Florida Department of Law Enforcement resident agent, Jeff Watson. Um, and of course, uh, Sheriff Clovis Watson Jr. So, um, and uh, the staff there, as you see if they've got them all, yeah, they're all listed here. Special Agent Tracy Rousseau. I think we've worked with that person before. I think we have worked with Florida Department of Law Enforcement Special Agent Tracy Rousseau. Um, I'm pretty sure we have. So uh, I want to bring that part to you. So that really is kind of uh, my local story today. Um, and look at local, how much local takes up. I mean, local really is so important to us that you know these things. In a few minutes, I want, I want to be, I've been asked to say a few things about a course here that's running in our community um, that um, uh, is um, uh, not been, you know, not been fully aired, I suppose, is a way to say it. Uh, just let me uh, look this up real quickly. And uh, that is the Dale Carnegie course that's being run. It costs about 2000 bucks to do it. But um, the corporations here um, in the community generally spring for their bright, talented people to go to these courses and polish their presentation skills. So that course is being offered here in this community. Uh, if you want to know more about it, um, uh, get, in, get in touch with us and we'll, we'll, we'll certainly send you to the, uh, to the right people to get uh, your staff or your promising talent in your organization in the course. Um, it's not unlike one of the courses that I took once upon a time, which was Leadership Gainesville. These programs are helpful because of the networking. Uh, at these courses, you meet a lot of people who are really worth hanging around with longer than the course, uh, after, long after the course is over. So um, that, that is an important part of this whole component, too. We're going to um, wish you a good day today. Uh, we'll probably have, let's see, today's Thursday, so we'll have um, Open Line Friday tomorrow. And uh, I appreciate the fact that you all uh, support the Ward Scott Files and we're always looking for uh, sponsors. We're going to find a, uh, try to keep the phone line going. We'll probably try to get a sponsor for that to help us with that. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep, um, hopefully, keeping you in, in, involved and um, be a fair fair critic for you. I mean, I criticize myself probably harder than I criticize anybody else. That's all part of it. Have a great day. A Warthog Command Center out.